0: witnesses say that Jesus invisibly returned to Brooklyn, New York in 1914. That it's not biblical. That it's not uh, what the Bible teaches at all. Uh, they would deny this doctrine of the vo- bodily visible return of Christ. Also, there's many skeptics. If you look at Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 3 to 10, this is a prediction that in the last days, there's going to be people that are skeptical about the second coming of Christ. They're going to mock Christians. They're going to mock those who believe that Christ will return. It's nothing to be, uh, you know, it's not something that, uh, that we should not expect. It comes with the turf. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 10. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintained this, it escaped their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth... By his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. And so the Bible teaches us that in the last days there's going to be skeptics. There are going to be people who deny the second coming of Christ. They're going to deny that he's going to return to earth. Uh, By the way, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They may be Methodist, they may be Baptist, they may be whatever. And by the way, there's good, solid believers in each uh, those churches that I mentioned, and pre- among the Presbyterians, among many different denominations. But there are people who call themselves Christians today and go to church on Sunday that deny that Jesus Christ will return. And so, uh, just because somebody calls themselves a Christian does not necessarily mean that they are, in fact, a Christian. All true believers agree that Jesus will return. Uh, I don't have it listed there on the uh, handouts, but turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 11. All true believers agree that Jesus will return and that his return will be bodily and visible. Jesus Christ, when he became a man, uh, that meant that he was going to be a man forever and ever. Now, he did not cease to be God But he added a human nature, and so he will always be fully God and fully man throughout all eternity. He has a body. He's sitting at the Father's right hand in heaven. And when he returns, he will bodily return to earth, and it will be a visible return. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 11. This is when Jesus, he had just ascended to heaven. And then two angels uh, say this to the disciples in verse 11 of Acts chapter 1. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Okay? They watched him ascend into heaven. He went up bodily and it was visible. And so when Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be bodily and visible. He'll return the same way that he left. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Things were getting tough here at this point uh, the Christ it's the night that Christ is betrayed. He's going to be crucified very shortly. The apostles are going to be running for their lives, they're going to be afraid. Things are getting real tough. So persecution is going to begin for them. And so Christ wants to calm Uh, their troubled souls. And he says this in John 14, verses 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am... There you may be also. And so Christ makes it very plain that yes, he was going to go away. He was going to be crucified, then he would rise from the dead, appear to his apostles over a period of 40 days, and then he would ascend into heaven. He would go away, but he was telling them that he would return. He was telling them that his first coming, he had much to do, much to accomplish. But there would still need to be a second coming, a return to the planet Earth, so Jesus Christ taught his believers that He would return for them. Look at First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter four. Many of us have had loved ones who have died and passed on loved ones who were believing in Jesus alone for salvation. Paul says this to to people like that who have lost their loved ones. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who died, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. You see, the world may act like they have hope, but the world does not have hope. There is no such thing as hope outside of Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the only true, the only authentic, the only eternal hope that this world is ever going to know. So if your friends don't believe in Jesus and they act like they got hope, they're just taking a leap of blind faith. Because even if there's 60, 70 years of happiness that they can somehow find through the the thrills of this world, uh, all they have to face after that are the eternal flames of hell if they have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. If you've lost a loved one who was trusting in Jesus for salvation, Jesus says that you don't need to grieve like the world grieves. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to cry, you're going to have some sorrow, but it should never drop to the level that the world of the world when they mourn because the fact of the matter is you have a hope that the world does not hope that the world does not have because you know that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he'll be bringing with Him that precious loved one of yours that passed on and went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have comfort even when our loved ones die, knowing that Jesus will bring them with him when he returns. Uh, Hebrews 9.28 Hebrews 9.28 The author of Hebrews says this So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many That's when he died on the cross for our sins Shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. What it's basically saying is he's not coming a second time to die for anybody's sins. He did that the first time. The second time he's coming uh, to redeem or to save the planet Earth, and he's coming to gather together those who are his children, those who already believe. Now, there are other passages, and we're going to look at some of them, which tell us that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns, he's not only coming to gather his believers but He's also coming to judge and to punish those who have rejected Him. Look at Revelation 1, seven, The book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 7. And that reads, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so. Amen. And so it says the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns, he'll return amidst the clouds and that every eye will see him. And so the the return of Christ obviously will be a visible return. Look at Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. And this passage reads, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And we know that that's Jesus. And... John 1.1, Jesus is referred to as the Word. Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, we don't have time to turn here, but in Revelation chapter 5, it talks about Jesus as the Lamb who was slain, but then it also talks about Him as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. When He's talked about as the Lamb who was slain, the emphasis there is on the first coming of Christ, when He was slaughtered on the cross for our sins. Slaughtered like a lamb led to the slaughter. But when it refers to Jesus as the Lion from the tribe of Judah... There it talks about His second coming, when like a lion with all His royalty and fierceness, the Lord Jesus Christ will return in power and glory with all His angels, and shall rule on the earth for a thousand years. Take a look at Zechariah chapter 9. Even in the Old Testament, before Christ came the first time, the second coming of Christ was already being predicted, although uh, the Old Testament prophets did not draw the distinction between the the first coming of Christ to die for man's sins and the second coming of Christ uh, where he would reign over the earth. Uh, It was very difficult for the Old Testament prophets. Uh, They could not reconcile. Even the Jews at the time of Christ, they could not reconcile how the Messiah would be a suffering Messiah But a glorious, reigning, triumphant Messiah. Now, Zechariah 9:9, verse 9 gives us a prediction of the first coming of Christ, but then it runs right into a prediction of the second coming of Christ. Zechariah 9:9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. That's when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and they said, Hosanna, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then verse 10 says this, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so it's talking about Jesus. We know that from the triumphal entry of verse 9, but then it says the day's going to come when He's going to bring peace to earth and He's going to reign from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. And so that's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when He reigns on earth. Uh, Zechariah 14, verses 1 to 5. Zechariah 14 verses one to five. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil will be taken from you, when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the woman, woman ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will, will not be cut off from the city Now let me say this, with the United Nations today, you have the ability for there to be one vote and then representatives, uh, troops from every nation on earth to decide to join together and fight against one nation. We, we had something uh, akin to that when uh, the United Nations decided to go and, and uh, uh, invade uh, Kuwait to take it back from Saddam Hussein. So we could be living in the days when this is uh, not just a possibility, but even a probability in that all nations could agree to go to Jerusalem and uh, and invade uh, the nation of Israel. Verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. And in that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, so that's an obvious reference to the second coming of Christ. At that point, when all the nations on earth are invading Jerusalem and are attempting to wipe the nation of Israel off the face of the earth, at that point, our prince will come. At that point, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth and will fight and defend the nation of Israel. Now, an important note here for the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny that Jesus is God... Uh, it's an obvious reference to the second coming of Christ, and he's referred to as the Lord, my God. And so it's an obvious reference to the deity of Christ. Look at the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Chapter 66. Isaiah 66, verses 15 and 16. And that reads, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire, and by his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. Now, we got a lot of people that try try to turn our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, into a wimp. A no-nuker who doesn't believe in a strong military defense and wouldn't hurt a fly. And the fact of the matter is, he doesn't sound anything like the Jesus who cleansed the temple and forcibly kicked out uh, those who were ripping people off on the temple grounds. It doesn't sound anything like the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to return. When He returns, the first time He came to save and forgive. But the second time, when He will come, He'll have given man ample time to repent. And those who do not trust in Him for salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return to judge and punish those who have rejected Him, as well as gathering those who are His own. Take a look at... uh... By the way, the only way to get... Peace in a world of sinful men Is to basically The only way to get genuine world peace In a world of sinful men Would be if a perfect king would come And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one Who fits that uh, That criterion If a perfect king came Who had so much power That no one could mess with him And then, if he would carry a bigger stick than anybody else has got and enforce peace through his strength. That's how we're going to get peace in the world of a sinful, uh, peace in the midst of a sinful world, is when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, returns to earth and enforces peace through his strength. Take a look at uh, Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 4. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of, God, of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that he may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion." and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and he will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Now that last verse there is beautiful, where it talks about hammering their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, and... Never Again Learning War, Uh, they've got that verse inscribed on the uh, United Nations headquarters. Okay? The problem is, they think that mankind is going to bring this kind of peace to earth through the United Nations. And the Bible says the United Nations is going to bring about a a pseudo-peace. It's going to bring about the reign of the Antichrist a demon-possessed man who will sit in the temple when it's rebuilt in Jerusalem and proclaim himself to be God and demand that everyone receive a mark on their forehead or on their right hand, the 666, the mark of the beast. And anyone who doesn't have that mark and refuses to worship the Antichrist will be put to death. Uh, that's what the United Nations is going to give us. The United Nations is going to give us, according to the book of Revelation, A situation where there's so much war, so much famine, so many different diseases that more than one out of every two people on the planet Earth is going to die in a a three-and-a-half-year period of time. So the United Nations can put that verse up there, but they can't bring it about. They're going to promise it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us that when everybody is saying peace and safety, then destruction will come. So mankind can promise peace. In Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, over and over again, the false prophets are condemned because they go around saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The United Nations is going to promise us peace. A lot of our political leaders are going to promise us peace. But the fact of the matter is, until the Prince of Peace returns, there will be no peace. The problem is not external. The problem isn't nuclear weapons. The problem isn't handguns. The problem stems from deep within the heart of man. And the only one who can bring us peace between men is the only one who can bring us peace between man and God. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only the the one who's going to bring peace to this planet Earth, but He's the one who can transform us from within and and change and chip away at our hardened hearts and take the violence that stems from within our hardened hearts. And so the Lord Jesus Christ alone will bring peace. Look at uh, Isaiah 11, verses uh, 11 to 12. Isaiah 11, verses 11 to 12. By the way, in this passage, you know, it starts out in in verse 6. It talks about... And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. You know, just a beautiful situation. Well, that's because the Lord Jesus Christ is returning. He's removed the curse from the earth. But verses 11 and 12, I want you to give some thought to this. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain, his people, the nation of Israel, from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, from the islands of the sea. And he will lift up a standard for the nations, and he will assemble the banished ones of Israel, and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. What is being said here is that the second time that the Jews are regathered back into their homeland, And uh, the the, the first time, uh, basically in 1948-1947, that was the second time the Jews began to be regathered into their homeland. And they're still gathering right now. But Christ says when it happens that you see the second time the Jews are gathered from all the nations on earth back into their homeland and get ready. Because the second coming of Jesus Christ... Is near, and so I think we, above all. I, I read a book uh, by uh, a guy named D. Han, uh a Bible, a Bible scholar back in the. I think it was. Uh, well, I, I was reading through this book, and there were guys. He was talking about guys who were arguing that Hitler's the Antichrist and Mussolini is the false prophet. And this guy Dehan said, "But that can't be." Because the end times can't come about until uh, Israel, the, the Jewish people, are back in the land of Israel until they have their nation again. Now I'm reading this book in the late 1980s, and I'm thinking, what's this guy talking about? Israel's been a nation since, you know, 1947, 1948. Then I looked at the copyright of the book... And he wrote that book like 1942 or 1943, on his commentary on the book of Daniel. And what this Bible scholar was saying was, hey, the end can't come until the Jews are back in the land of Israel. Now, when they're back in the land of Israel, you better get ready. Five years after he writes the book, the Jews are back in the land of Israel. 1967, they take full control of Jerusalem. And now over and over again, it's always in the news, the Arabs and the Jews sitting down for another peace treaty that isn't going to amount to anything. There are so many different Arab nations like the, uh, the, uh, uh, like, uh, the, the PLO, that, that or particular organa- organization, plus many other Arab nations, that their goal, and it's in writing, their goal is to wipe out and exterminate every Jew from the face of the earth. Uh, So they can talk peace and safety all they want. But the fact of the matter is, the day is going to come when there's going to be horrible, horrible war in the Middle East. And it's going to culminate to the point where finally, in the Battle of Armageddon, all nations are marching on the city of Jerusalem in an attempt to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. But then, of course, as the Scriptures tell us, there's going to be one Jew who's going to return, who's going to be a little bit too big to mess with. And he's going to stand up for his people, the people of Israel, the people who were led by King David, the people who were led by Moses, the people who came, the descendants of Abraham. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to stand for his people. And his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives and the earth is going to quake and then the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ now let me say this all true believers agree that Jesus Christ will bodily and visibly return to earth but as is often the case the Bible is a big book and at times it is complex sometimes I think we complicate it more than it needs to be complicated but Good men do disagree on certain issues. And we might have some people here who might disagree with me on some of the points that I'm going to mention uh, uh, mention, and then what follows. But the fact is, we do agree that Jesus Christ is going to return to earth. We do agree that He is our Savior, that salvation comes only through Him. And we need to rejoice on that and express our unity in Christ. But the two points that people that believers disagree about is, number one, the rapture of the church. When does the rapture occur? When does the rapture occur? The rapture is when Jesus comes and gathers believers from the earth. There's three different views. There's pre-tribulationism, which is the view that before the tribulation starts, the seven-year tribulation, Jesus secretly comes and in the clouds, and snatches believers from the earth, so they just disappear off the earth. And then he, his second coming comes seven years later at the end of the tribulation, so Christians will not go through the tribulation. Uh, uh, Hal Lindsey holds to that view. Um, Bill, I, I believe Billy Graham holds to that view as well. Many, go- many good, solid, godly... Bible-believing Christians hold to the pre-tribulational rapture position. Uh, The mid-tribulational view is basically the view that halfway through that seven-year period is when Jesus secretly comes back and snatches away uh, believers. And then in that second half of the tribulation that really horrible part of the tribulation period the last three and a half years Christians are in heaven with the Lord and then the Lord returns with them uh, at the end of the tribulation uh, but the position that I hold to and again I hope and I pray that I'm wrong to be honest with you I would I would really hope and pray that the pre-tribulational position is correct and there are there are good godly scholarly men in all three of these camps okay but uh, but if my understanding of the of the scriptures is correct, take take a look at Matthew twenty four. I don't want to turn this into a bully pulpit. I'm just going to give a couple passages on this. Matthew twenty four and verse three. This this is the the Olivet discourse. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives where he's going to return someday, and he. Begins to teach about the end times It's the, the chapter probably with more verses about the end times uh, in, in any of the gospels, Matthew 24 But verse 3 it says And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives The disciples came to him privately saying Tell us When will these things be And what will be the sign of your coming And of the end of the age Now who asked Jesus this question? The answer is The disciples who were the disciples? They were those who believed in Jesus. In other words, they were part of the church. Even though the church wasn't started till Pentecost, these guys were the believers, they were the apostles, the founders of the church. Jesus is talking to the church. And look at what He says in the same passage, talking to His disciples, talking to the church, in verses 29 to 31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaking. Obviously, the end, of the, the end of the world as we know it has come and everything is just going to self-destruct if God doesn't intervene. But of course, verse 30, God intervenes. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. It says, Jesus is talking to believers, and it says right there that He's going to return after the tribulation, and He's going to gather His elect. He's going to gather... Uh, His believers. Um, Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, if you disagree with me on this particular point, we could sit down and talk about it all day long and everything, and that's fine. That is fine because on the essentials, all true believers are in total agreement. That Jesus Christ alone is Savior, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose from the dead on the third day, and that He will return. Uh, but even good men are going to disagree on some issues. And I, I hope nobody, you know, ever feels that I'm putting them down or whatever. And I, I really, I hope the pre-trib rapture is right. You know, I've got a wife and a daughter, and uh, I'm not into this thing called persecution. First Corinthians uh, 15, verses 50... To 52. Paul's talking to believers, the Corinthian believers, and he says this. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, not everybody's going to die. Some people are going to be alive when Jesus returns. But he says we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye... At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. So when does Jesus Christ come for the church? He comes at the last trumpet. By the way, in all the scriptures, this passage and uh, Matthew 24, 29 to 31, that's the only two passages I've ever seen which talks about the rapture of the church but gives... Directly and very clearly a time frame. One says after the tribulation, and this one says at the last trumpet. Now, when you move to Revelation, look at Revelation 11:15. 15. What you have throughout the tribulation period are seven trumpets. Okay? And then we find out that the seventh trumpet, the last of these seven trumpets we find out that that's talking about the second coming of Christ. Look at this in in verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Now, if Jesus comes for the church before the tribulation period, or even in the middle of the tribulation period, then it makes one wonder why God calls it the last trumpet. Because there would be, if you're a preacher, there would be seven trumpets that come after the last trumpet that wouldn't seem to make much sense. Or, if it was in the middle of the tribulation, maybe there'd be, you know, who knows, three or four trumpets coming after uh, the last trumpet. It does not make much sense. However, if the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet, then it makes lots of sense. Because when that seventh trumpet blows... When that last trumpet blows, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, be caught up in the air to meet the Lord Jesus Christ after the tribulation, and then return with Him as He devastates everything in His path and defeats those who invade uh, Jerusalem, and He sets up His kingdom, the kingdom of God, on earth. If we disagree on this, fine. And I'll pray for you, you pray for me, and hopefully the one who's wrong, God will will give us the light to understand uh, His truth in a more clear fashion. Uh, Lots of good believers disagree on that point. Now, the next point, lots of good believers do disagree as to whether or not the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth is literal. But I will say this. Though there are many good, solid believers who are going to be in heaven someday who do not accept the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ, I think it is a very problematic view to hold. It is also a very dangerous view to hold at times for political reasons. Uh, uh, We really don't have too much time to get into. But basically, the the two views that I do not hold, one view is called amillennialism. Uh, The millennium just means the thousand years, okay? So amillennialism means no... 1,000 years. What well, that's talking about is no literal reign of Christ on earth. Uh, these guys read all those passages that I read to you earlier as being merely symbolic. Jesus reigns from heaven and uh, will, not, uh, will not reign on earth. Now, they, they do hold that he's going to return to earth to take the saints, but they really, it's real hard to really pin them down on what exactly they're talking about. But there's no literal reign on earth. Christ currently reigns over the earth from heaven. Now, I will say this. Christ does currently reign over the universe from heaven, but He has chosen not to fully enforce some of His laws. The day will come when He will literally return to earth, and the kingdom of God as the Our Father, when you say the Our Father, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The day is going to come when Jesus is going to physically bring the kingdom of God to earth, and is going to fully enforce God's rule upon this earth. Now, post-millennialism is the belief that Christ will return after the church reigns on earth for an extended period of time. So it's not a literal thousand years, and it's not Jesus ruling on earth. The church rules on earth for a thousand years, and we bring peace on earth. Um, And I don't think that's a biblical view. And then Christ returns after we set things straight. The view that I hold to is premillennialism. It's it's the view that Christ will return to earth before the 1,000 years of peace and literally reign over the earth. He is the one who brings peace to the earth. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. Remember Revelation 19 talked about the second coming of Christ. Now it picks it up right from there. Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. I don't know how it could be any clearer. Jesus Christ is going... Yes, the church will reign for a thousand years, but it's with Christ. Jesus Christ is going to be there, reigning over the earth for a thousand years. Look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David. The throne of David can only be one place. That's Jerusalem. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule over the earth from uh, Jerusalem. And then take a look at Zechariah 14. You really have to stretch a lot of these passages if you don't put Jesus on earth, ruling on earth. Uh, for a thousand years You really got to look for hidden meanings And really stretch it out of its context To make it symbolic I'll just give you one more passage on this And then we'll close Then it will come about that any who are left Of all the nations that went against this Zechariah 14 verses 16 and 17 Then it will come about that any who are left Of all the nations that went against Jerusalem Will go up from year to year To worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, that there will be no rain on them. Now, why do they need to go to Jerusalem to worship the King? Because the King is sitting enthroned in the Holy of Holies, and if you want to worship the King, you've got to go to Jerusalem once a year to see the King, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, who will literally reign over the earth for a thousand years. Uh, I want us to just close with one verse. Look at Romans eight 18. We'll close with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. In fact, we're going to need to cover at least two verses here. Yeah, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul is saying, no matter how hard things get, no matter how much you suffer, no matter how bad things get, that's going to look like nothing when you compare it to the glory that's going to be given to us when our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ... Returns to earth. Jesus told us in John sixteen thirty three that in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So the Lord Jesus Christ has overcome the world for us. Um, Job said that in his flesh he would see God. He said, and I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even Job knew that the Redeemer would come to earth and would reign on earth and then we'll close with Titus 2:13 Paul's letter to Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 This is the blessed hope of the church Paul tells us that we should live a righteous and godly life in this present age then verse 13 looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus if you're not sure if you're going to be able to pay the mortgage this month, don't despair. Because there is a hope. If, uh, if, you're losing, if you lost your job and you don't know how your bills are going to be paid, don't despair. There's a hope. If your loved one died, you feel like giving up, it's not time to despair. We have a hope, the blessed hope, Paul tells us, no matter how bad things get, no matter how much we get dragged down by the trials of life and the sufferings of life, the fact remains, there is the blessed hope of the church, the glorious appearing, the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ to the planet earth. So no matter how bad things get morally, politically, uh, economically, no matter how bad things get, the church will always have its hope. The Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, like that Walt Disney song, Someday, our Prince will come. We know that in the midst of trials, we need not despair. Because the day is going to come when we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to see Him face to face. The day is going to come where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow. And we'll be able to walk down the streets of Jerusalem and into the temple. And into the Holy of Holies, where the Jewish high priest would only go once a year. And instead of looking upon the Ark of the Covenant, we'll look upon the throne. And upon that throne will sit our God and Savior. The Lamb who was slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We'll see the holes in His hands, and the holes in His feet, and the pierced side. That was brought about because of the love that drove him to the cross of Calvary.